Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. I am your host, Michael Columbus, from Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And I'm super excited to have back my friend and colleague, Nikkei Anani. Um, it was super cool. Welcome, Nikkei. Um, super cool. Thank we got to see each other in person at yes. the Purposeful Planning Institute in Denver at their rendezvous. Uh, two weeks ago now. Two weeks ago, yeah. So it was super cool to be able to give you a hug. <laughs> yes, it was awesome to see you in 3D. Yeah. Um, and Rendezvous literally had such a great impact on me. It was phenomenal. Super good. It was a super good conference. It's a, the, yeah. the only one I really look forward to every year. Only thing I wish is that it was in September because my summers in upstate New York are just a little short. So. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> So at the conference, I found out that you've got a project that is just about to come to fruition that you're really excited about, and it's a book. And so yes. you just went, the, the book is available. It just came out. It's available now, correct? Correct. Um, the name of the book is Lifetime to Legacy. Tell us about what inspired you to write this book. Yes. Um, you know, I'm very passionate about family enterprises and helping them navigate generational transition. And I'm a family business owner myself, a second gen. And I guess my inside experience and perspective and feeling as we were trying to navigate building a legacy enterprise that a lot of advisors would come with the technical and the transactional without really helping with the relational and I found that it was the relational that was the foundation that we needed to build. And then the technical came on top of that. And also through the work that I, I've been doing with third party families, working with founders and navigating generational transition, helping next generation members finding their fit and their feet and their enterprises, it really starts with the relational. And so Lifetime to Legacy is all about that. How can you build relational connectivity in your family? to bring about co-creation of ideas where family members move from just coexisting to actively co-creating, unlocking diversity of thought and perspectives so that we can together start going on this journey of building a future-focused enterprise. And that's what it's about. Love it. I love it. Would you do me a favor? And I think your background is really interesting and talk mm. about that so that it, it, I think it adds a different perspective for people to really understand, oh, she's really lived this. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it's one thing to say it, but I think it's better just to, like take a few minutes and, and, and give us that background. Give, give us the Nikkei Anani story. Love to. Um, 
My father started off our family enterprise in Lagos, Nigeria. So I'm Nigerian by origin the year I was born. So entrepreneurship has been in my life my whole life. So my dad was a medical doctor and um, started his side hustle in supplying medical consumables to teaching hospitals and labs across Nigeria. And um, I went to the UK at the age of nine for my education with my brothers and my mother and started my career in tax planning in Deloitte, London. So I'm the equivalent of a CPA. So I was very much on the technical side. That's where my career started. Sure. Um, but I found it quite boring. <laughs> and by this point, our family enterprise had really evolved and had in, turned into a construction business, a real estate development company, and an engineering firm, whilst also um, my father had been investing in a bunch of different sectors. And I thought whilst I was kind of grappling with what's next for Nikkei. Why not just spend some time in Nigeria to really learn what dad has been talking about? And maybe that would inspire me to find a good industry fit. And I put in an application to business school at the same time and got to Nigeria. And I loved the entrepreneurial culture. I loved working with my dad. And I decided to stay and put my stick in the ground and founded and run our family office, which drove strategic business planning in the operational businesses, drove investment monitoring of our investments. So I sat on a few boards of companies that we were significant shareholders of, also helped with succession planning and governance and educating the next generation. And so my passion for family enterprises comes from my inside lived experience of being on the ground, running a business as a second generation, trying to collaborate with the older gen, trying to grapple with what's my vision for my future, whilst also trying to contribute towards the legacy of the family and seeing that often, folks that do come to help families are um, speaking the wrong language. They're speaking the language of the technical and not enough of the relational. And so that's what my, um, as you were alluding to, that's my experience, my background. And a year ago, I moved again with my husband and our kids to the US. So I come with, um, I guess, a global perspective, having lived and worked now in three continents. Um, and I also come with the inside client perspective. That's pre it's pretty amazing. I mean, your, your dad, you must be, the whole family must be pretty proud of what he's accomplished in a pretty short period of time, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the, the typical family probably doesn't experience that level of change in a generation. Usually it's two or three generations mm. to get to that level. So he's, that's pretty amazing. And I bet from, as kids, as, as his children, um, I bet you dad's probably pretty strong-willed about how he <laughs> does things, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so that, I mean, that goes back to, he's also, though, it, it sounds like based on what, you're, you, what you've said, open to change and open to other ideas, which is really at the core of all this, everything that you're talking about, the relationships and how that was so important, aside from the technical, even more important than the technical, if dad didn't believe that and just stuck in on the, I'm just going to do the business the way that I'm doing it, none of this would happen. 1000%. And I give him credit for honestly, um, I had, I enjoyed a lot of autonomy and agency. It was literally a conversation that I think we should have a family office. Okay. What do you need from me? 
<laughs> like um, I need training. I need to understand what this is about. I need to travel and join some associations. Do what you need to do and I will support you. And that's not to say that there are not moments of this power struggle of, I would like us to do ABC and no, you can't. Oh God, we had a lot of that. There was a lot of resistance on his part with respect to having more technology in the family business, um, with respect to my ideas on diversifying our investment portfolio. And it's an ongoing journey of one where I, influence him and he also influences me but um there was a common ground kind of respect for the fact that I had a different perspective with my technical background as a tax accountant and my global perspective um it was welcomed it wasn't always embraced but it was there was definitely a feeling of I can make my impact here okay I, I want to I want to define one other thing before we move on about, about the book because I think it sets the stage a little better. Most of the clients that you know, most of the, the people that are listening to this are running family businesses, okay, or their family business advisors. Um, and most family businesses will not get to a stage the you know a point in where they need a family office, mm -hmm. um, and and so. But, but a lot of the same things that the family office does, they need what the family office does, but they can't afford the family office. So let, let's go through and talk about what is a family office so that we can just separate that piece out for them and they can really start to understand it. I don't, I don't think everybody really understands you know, what a family office is and who has a family office. When do we think about that? Fantastic question. A family office is a bespoke curated vehicle to serve the family's needs, right? And just giving the example of my family, we were G1 moving to G2, and we're now thinking about, we want to build a business and wealth that would outlive dad, me, my kids, and how can we go about in doing that? And so the services that we required for our family office to render to the family was in terms of wealth planning, tax planning, estate planning, succession planning, next generation development and education, um, as well as strategic business planning in our operational businesses. So essentially a family office is curated for what your family needs. For some families, it's more, you may need concierge services if you've got like planes and boats and things like that, or you may have a philanthropic arm where you have a desk in your family office that looks at curating and designing your strategy as well as implementing. So it really is dependent on your needs. Now, the how is where there are many ways to skin a cat. And the affordability question is one that I'm thrown at by a number of families that say to me, we need to be intentional and deliberate about building our wealth and our legacy business, but we really can't afford to have all these members of staff on our bills, um, on our payroll, um, but we need the services. And I think there's some level of creativity that can be taken in, in respect to how you do it, right? So um, one way you can do it is like an embedded family office. Usually you need at minimum an accountant and a lawyer, and some quarterbacker, the strategic person that just holds the fort and coordinates the different advisors, both externally and internally. So you can start with 
perhaps your existing accountant and lawyer, maybe in-house in your family business, or if you've got external ones um, where they're not full-time, but they're part-time. That's one option. Another option is to have an outsourced service where the family um, outsources all these functions to third parties. And then again, you're just playing, playing a coordinating role. And then the third option is when we have the bells and whistles and you put everybody on your payroll. Um, and in our instance, we had five members of staff. So I had the chief investment officer, I had a chief financial officer, chief legal officer, compliance assistant, and myself. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of kind of flexibility in how you go about it. But I think what I like to tell my clients is it's important to have a family office in your mind that we are working. Yeah, we need to move from working in our family businesses to working on our business families. Yeah. And that mindset of we're working on our business family now means we need to think about education of the next generation and the current generation. We need to think about family um, bonding and learning. We need to think about family communication. We need to think about succession, governance, estate planning, tax planning, um, succession planning. How we go about doing that, there's some flexibility in that depending on what we really need, what our budget is and so on and so forth. I haven't heard anybody talking about that. And I think that is gigantic. We need to think from a family office perspective, regardless of whether we have them. Here's what's really important. I think there's this whole thing out there right now about wealth 3.0 and, mm. and get, getting away from the, you know, families fail at keeping wealth for three generations, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves and all that. I don't want to say I, I push against it, but I, I think it's not, it's not about the wealth. It's about the family. And so mm. most families, and I can look at my father, my father grew up with all of his cousins. Okay. Mm. And they would have family reunions. Mm. There were, this was not about wealth. This was just about bonding. Like you said, in the relationship and getting those people together as they got older, that mm. stopped happening because why? Because they all have their own families. And now they're, you know, so those six cousins or seven cousins that he used to see all the time, they don't see as often because it's called life. Yeah. They were always growing and expanding and changing. And unless we're intentional about these things, the relationships go to the go to the wayside. And when you have family wealth, that provides a reason to do something different than other people do. So I I don't want to I don't want to say I'm challenging wealth 3.0 because that's not what I'm saying because I do like coming at everything from a positive perspective and not talking mm. about the negative side of things. And I don't know if you would agree or not, but I just think it's it's a natural evolution of what happens within a family and where families of wealth have exactly the same thing happening. It's just an evolution. It's just, um, we're either growing or we're dying, we're changing. Mm. And, and mm. I just think it's just, it's, it's a natural dichotomy of, you know, things that happen. So yeah, I love being intentional about this. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, we are an outsourced family office. That's how mm -hmm. we view what we do. We're we know the, the the good the good attorneys that you should be using. We know the 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 great accounting firms that you know somebody should be using. The the piece that's always missing in the middle 
is somebody that makes them all talk about mm. the family and about all the situations so that you're not, you know, every time you push a button on the accounting side, it might affect something on the legal side or the business side or the personal side. And unless you have all those players in the room, you're not going to know which buttons, what the reaction or what the, you know, what the effects of what you're, you know, the choices that you're making. I love the fact that you pulled that together and I'm going to start I think that's a, a whole book in itself is how yeah. family office mindset. And what yeah. does that mean? It's talking about the education. It's talking about what are the things that are important to everybody in the family, plus the business and the investments and the wealth. Ah, I love it. Thank you. Thank, thank you. That was you. That really, I think will help a lot of people to see why it's important to be intentional around those things. So yeah. you've been doing this for a while now. And what are some of the common mistakes that family business owners make on their legacy journey? Mm, one I alluded to is working in the business, but not working on the family, working on the business family and getting so and I understand that I'm an entrepreneur myself. Bills have to be paid. We want to maximize sales. We want to get lean. We were thinking about strategy. But when we are moving from lifetime to legacy, it's important that we have a legacy mindset. And that's one that's very long termist. And I say that legacy is not built overnight. You have to consistently be sowing seeds. So you need to work on the family and think about the qualitative, the qualitative wealth, not just the financial capital, but the human capital, the knowledge capital, the intellectual capital, the social capital. How are we building that within the family to maximize the resources the family has and in my book, I talk about the secret source of a family, right? I liken it to every family has its secret source to this amazing recipe that we want to pass from generation to generation. And it goes beyond just the financial capital. And so working on our business families is really important to propelling our enterprises from lifetime to legacy. And like you said, it's down to that relational element. That's huge. That, I really want to make sure that people under, hear that and, and, and we bring that home. It's, you said it the, differently than I've ever heard. And you're talking about working on the family, biz, uh, the, working on the business family. Yes. And many, many of the owners of businesses have heard, you can't just work in the business, you have to work on the business. And what mm -hmm. you're saying is when you have a family business, you also have to be working on the family aspect of things. Not exactly. Oh my goodness. That's super <laughs> powerful, folks. I love that. And that is what we're talking about. But without saying those words, I don't think it sinks in for people. Mm -hmm. One of my mentors actually is a, a, um, younger than I am. I think you can be mentored by anybody if, if they have different knowledge than you. And he has two phrases that came to mind as you were talking. And one of them is the difference between good and great is the words that you use. Mm. And so when, when you think about the family, if we start talking about working on the family, if we add those words to our repertoire, then it just becomes a habit to start doing those things. Okay. What are we doing to work on the business? What is the strategy there? I've got that. But what are we doing to work on the family? Yeah. And if you're not doing it, 
don't expect anything else. You know, don't any, don't expect the, the business, don't expect the family to stay together. It's, you really need that family relational piece so that you're mm-hmm. growing emotional intelligence. Exactly. And I would add, it's so easy to get overwhelmed, right? It's so easy because there's so many books in this space and so many things we need to be thinking about on the family side, on the business side, on the technical side. I would say when you're reorienting your mind to work on your family, just choose three things, three things, three things that you're going to chase after and be very deliberate on, whether it's you want to have an annual retreat or you want to do learning together or you want to start thinking about governance for the family. Just choose three things and work on those three things. I would add to that, start small. Yeah. Start small. And, you know, you don't go into the gym after not being in the gym for a long time and think that you're going to bench press 300 pounds. Yeah. (laughs) Not going to happen. So, so, you know, this building of the relational family muscle that it's all of a sudden we have this new idea and here's what we want to do. And every family comes at this with some good things. Mm. You know what I'm saying? That they have some relational muscle muscle. They have, they, maybe their education is super important to that family. And so there there's conversations about those things, but if you just pick three new things and then start small. Yeah. You, know, you, you can start a family philanthropy project with a hundred dollars. You can start it with exactly. five. You can start it with zero if you so choose and just make it about the time and the talent, not about the treasure. That's really good. And then you just work together to say, okay, so now what's next? Mm-hmm. So take the pressure off and just start building the family relational, the family muscle, so to speak. I think that's genius. I love mm-hmm. that. Work on Thank the family. You. Remember, work on the family. Anything else that are common mistakes that you want to talk about? Yeah, I talk about in the book about how a lot of families, similar to what you just said, pursue revolutions and not evolutions. We tend to want instant change in pursuit of this desired outcome that we needed to have happened yesterday. Um, whether it's, you know, um, doubling revenues, diversifying overnight, implementing technology, you know, being sustainable, you know, being very effective with our philanthropy, um, engaging and um, including the next generation, so on and so forth. The challenge with revolutions is that whilst they're sudden, quite often there's a high risk of failure. Let's think about political revolutions like the French Revolution or all sorts of revolutions we've seen um, in recent times, right? So we don't necessarily want a revolution. We do want change, right? That's what we're all moving and working towards in families, family enterprises. We're seeing change on the self-individual levels. We're seeing change on the family level. We're seeing change on the enterprise level. So to manage said change, which is so complex because they're also interrelated. We want to pursue evolutions, not necessarily revolutions. So for the next geners that are very frustrated and grappling with my parents not letting go and they're not digitizing fast enough, they're not using sustainability measures, you know, more as effective as they could be, pursue an evolution, not a revolution. And um, how can you do that? So start to think about 
how can myself and my siblings start banding together and collectively gaining clarity as to our shared vision, our shared mission, our shared values? Because a, an evolution that will need to happen from G1 to G2 is one from founder-driven to siblings partnership, right? One from kind of a, one where the founder takes a lot of decisions to one an evolution to collective leadership and collective decision-making. And that takes time. So it's not a revolution that we're gonna to get to a siblings partnership. It's an evolution of learning about self, who is Nikia, what drives her, what are her strengths, what's her vision, you know, um, how does she operate optimally and learning the same about your siblings and also being honest with ourselves about the emotional blockages that stop us as siblings from collaborating because we all have our history, our drama, our past hurts, right? With regards to family dynamics, working through those and starting to also, as we're coming together, collectively forming, what is our policy on conflict? How are we gonna manage? How are we gonna ensure that we fight fair? Because we will fight. <laughs> it's a given, we will fight. Um, and fighting isn't necessarily a bad thing, you know? Conflict can be very constructive. It does not have to be destructive. So coming up with ground rules around that and a policy and a mechanism for that, these are all ways in which one can start to pursue an evolution and not a revolution. Love it. I, I, I say to people all the time, none of us have ever gone to a movie where there was no conflict and walked out saying that was a great movie. <laughs> exactly. You have to have the conflict. We need we need the evil. We need the hero. We need the journey. That's just mm -hmm. how we're designed. We understand those things. But there's a difference between respectful, constructive criticism and conflict than there is just outright yelling and screaming and fighting. Mm -hmm. um, Indeed. Yeah, you said one other thing that I want to make sure that we that we focus on. And that was shared values. We live in this world right now where polarization is happening left and right. Families sometimes are so polarized that they fracture because of political statements and beliefs. If we're smart, let's, let's not discuss what we disagree with. Let's make sure that we're taking the time to find out where are our shared values that we that we that we have as a family, as siblings, and let's focus on uh, on, on starting and building from the shared values because we all have shared values too. We want unity. We don't want uniformity. Ah, uh, love that. If we take away who who Michael is and we take away who Nika is, it takes from the beauty and the diversity, the richness of your, our different perspectives. Yes. And we can agree to disagree, but we can also agree to agree. We focus on what we agree on and we band together over that. So we want unity of vision, mission, purpose, values. What is it that we're united on? Let's focus on that. There may be conflict, like we spoke about, as a result of our different values or perspectives or experiences or personalities. But we have a process through which we have we, we know how to manage said conflict for the benefit of the enterprise and the benefit of the family. My firm's core purpose is to inspire change. So what I am going to start calling myself, and I'm not I'm, I'm making this up, I'm not really going to use it, but I think that I'm the chief change officer for the families. 
Mm. That's, I think that family, when you're thinking about that family office, who are you going to name as your chief change officer? Who's that person that's going to help to the evolution of the family not instead mm. of the revolution? How's that? I love it. And, and, and I think we need to like take, you know, I, I say I keep it as simple as inspire change in our purpose, because if I wasn't, of course, it's with the family businesses and it's because of the family that I want to see them make an evolution to the next plateau in, in all areas, in all areas. Mm. But I say inspire change and I don't get specific about family business, because if I stop being part of this family business world, whether I was a teacher or you know, a musician or whatever I was doing, I know that my passion is and, and the, my purpose is all about inspiring change. And mm. so that's why I keep it that simple. But I think that I love the idea. I'm going to start talking about the chief change officer. I love mm, that. I love it too. Feel free. You're, you're welcome to use it as well. And I we'll, will uh, definitely. We'll, we'll start, a, we'll start an, evolution. an evolution, not change. a revolution. Yes. So let's talk, let's change gears a little bit. Why is it difficult for the founders, you know, to let go? And, you know, what tips would you say, you know, have come mm. to assist them to think mm. your father did some really neat stuff and not everybody's wired that way. And mm. he, and even he, who was open to some change and open to some different things, had some resistance along there. And I know that working with other families, you've seen it on that spectrum, probably more polarizing and people that might be even easier than, you know, open to change than your father was. You know, I why it's so difficult for founders to let go is that they're dealing with transitional anxiety. And I've dealt with this recently, um, moved all the way from Nigeria to the U.S., and there were moments of sheer, like, exhilarate. I just felt so excited for the future. But there was also moments of deep fear, like, this is all going to fall apart. And why that happens is because we're in between season. Suzanne David calls it betwixt, the anxiety of being in between. Um, and so you've got grief over the season that you've just, your, 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 your fear of what you've lost, right? and uncertainty over what the future holds. And so you've got anxiety on one hand, you've got grief on the other. And so thinking about founders, in thinking of letting go of their businesses, they're potentially letting go of their status, their identity, their tribe, their calling, whilst also navigating anxiety and fear over their mortality and anxiety and fear over what's next for me. Where am I gonna get my identity, my status from, and sometimes where's going to pay the bills. A lot of, we don't talk about this enough in the industry, where a lot of retiring founders have not necessarily have a good retirement plan. They've relied on the cash flow from their businesses, right? And so how can I let go when I don't know where the check is going to come from? And I don't know where, whether Nikkei Jr. or whomever has the wherewithal and the skill set to take this business to continue so that I will have a continued dividend flow. So that's why it's so difficult for founders to let go. And I think um, in terms of tips on how they can navigate the season is really taking time to start to think about what's next. So I, when I had to move from this fear of what I was losing 
to reframing to what I was gaining Mm -hmm. and also what could I be creating? What is a compelling enough vision of the next phase of my life that gets me excited, energized, and really brings out the joy rather than me focusing on what I'm losing? Um, So transition is not easy, but taking time to focusing on what's next, maybe in in conversation with a coach, a guide that can help you shepherd you in that next season of life. In conversation in the family, what's next in the family enterprise? What's next, you know, who's going to lead this into the future? What's next in terms of our structuring, in terms of our governance? Oftentimes, why it's also so difficult for founders to let go is they literally can't see themselves, can't see the enterprises running for a day without them because they're so deep, knee deep in the decisions. Um, So we need to think about a governance mechanism on the business side and the family side where they can trust in the process that actually everything hasn't fallen apart, right? And we've empowered the right people to make the right decisions. Perfect. And I have, as I often do, a few thoughts to add to this because I just love this part of the conversation. The succession planning, more often than not, when I look at businesses, the CEO, the the founder is in there making it happen. There's a process of building a leadership team uh, that, you know, it takes three, four, five years to transfer that data, not to one person, but to build the CEO and leadership team so that you then have more faith in what's going to happen because not everybody can fail at the same time. Somebody might have a hard time in their life. Somebody might not be able to get it, but it's so much easier that if you, as the CEO, start to slowly build this leadership team where rather than you telling them what to do, which is the way that you got to where you are today, now to to start to teach them you know, and one of the, my favorite phrases is, what do you recommend? And and learning to coach, you know, and, and that might, to your point, that might take a coach to help them to do that. You, The yeah. coach might be there to help the CEO and leadership team evolve. And that, I think, goes a lot to succession planning and helping. On the family side, I'm a giant fan of family philanthropy. I believe that philanthropy... Mm-hmm is the sandbox for creating future entrepreneurs and future leaders. And I don't, Jay Hughes, who we both know, you know, wrote the book, Family Wealth, Keeping It in the Family, wrote a white paper called The Grandparent Grandchild Philanthropy Project. That's not exactly what what it's titled. Mm. In there, he says, the natural enemy of the parents are the children and the the grandparents, you know, Mm. because... Children, you have to discipline them. So they, you know, are, are there. And the for the grandparents, you know, sometimes parents are like, all you do is you come over and spoil them. And mm. so when you put your father and mother in a spot of being elders in the family and mm. taking what they've learned and then coaching the, the grandchildren, one, you're busy working, you're building a career, you're having to, to put those pieces together. And all of the lessons that you want to teach them can be taught through philanthropy. And the one of the best people to t- teach them 
is the grandparents who love them unconditionally and mm. can be patient and take the time and watch them make mistakes and coach instead of just telling them what to do. Um, I, I just think it's a marvelous way of giving them purpose as the elder in an, in an area where they'd love to do it anyways. They want more time mm -hmm. with the grandchildren more often than not. Let's let's flip the, 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 the coin from the founders to the children. The rising generation, mm -hmm. next gen. I love rising generation, but I, I know a lot of people, it's like, okay, just the next generation. Mm -hmm. What's going on for them? What are some of the, why, why does it make it so difficult to, you know, to grab the ring and, and to do those things? And what are some tips and some ideas that you might have to help them think through those, that process? Yeah, no, quite often as a result of the founders struggling to let go, next gens often struggle to grab on. They struggle to engage. They struggle to have their autonomy, agency, authority exercised. And what that means is um, I, I write in my book about how I went to see this amazing show and um, the main um, actor was obviously on stage and he stole the shine and everything. And after the show, I went backstage and I saw like the hairdressers, the makeup artists, the light people, all the different technical people. And it dawned on me that the folks backstage, whilst they contributed to the massive, amazing show, they were not substitutable for the, the main actor on stage. And so quite a lot of the time, next gens feel this deep kind of um, anxiety, insecurity that if I were to be called on stage, as a hair person, how in the world will I perform under the heat? Because I've not had that experience, that expertise, that practice, that repeated practice. And it really, it really um, contributes to them questioning their ability, their competence leads to um, imposter syndrome of sorts. Another issue that a lot of next gens, rising gens struggle with is the anxiety of living in the shadow of the wealth of the founder and the success of the founder. Um, so it really contributes to the first point I mentioned where it's the success of mom and dad, how can I compare? Um, I don't, I, I can't build what they've built and worse still, can I even maintain the stewardship anxiety? Can I maintain this wealth, this abundance, this success? Um, do I have the skill set, the wherewithal? My friends don't have to navigate this. It's so lonely as a next generation when others are projecting onto me a sense of entitlement, of ease, and they don't understand the burdens, um, the responsibilities, the family issues that the wealth can create, right? So it, it becomes a very lonely place as an, a rising generation. Another issue that um, I find a lot of rising gens struggle with is this idea of championing change with their family enterprises. This idea of they want this beautiful enterprise that is future ready, tech enabled, sustainability focused, et cetera, and they're not quite there. And again, they feel kind of hands are tied behind their backs, you know, um, unable to affect the change that they want to see. And it can lead to them feeling very demoralized.
So those are the key issues I find amongst my clientele with rising gems. And how do we navigate that? Again, with this mindset of evolution, not revolution. Evolutions of self, evolutions of family, evolutions of the enterprise. At the self level, really grappling with, no longer um, suppressing, avoiding the emotional kinks in our hearts and our minds around wealth and what that means as to who we are as a person. So working through that privately, doing the inner work to heal, to gain new perspective, as you're not necessarily one that's imprisoned, shackled by your circumstance, but you have agency, autonomy, and you hold the scripts to your life. So what is it that you want as Nikia for yourself? And how can we make that happen in your world and also in the world of the family enterprise? using the family enterprise as a great platform. I often find that rising gens see the, the family enterprise as almost this, the, the other sibling that got all the love and attention, right? Right, from the parents or grandparents and they feel abandoned and there's a sense of resentment towards it rather than embracing, what can I learn from the sibling? What platform does the sibling give me? to achieve what I want to do and also so that I can make the impact on the enterprise, right? Um, so yeah, so the evolution of self and the evolution of the family, understanding that as I change as Nikia, everybody else in the family is changing and I can start to become a champion for change rather than a critic of the status quo. And that is really developing emotional intelligence, persuasion and influence skills, um, such that you can influence and persuade your family members to start to guide the ship of the family enterprise in the direction that you'd like to see. Love it. That's super, super helpful. I love the idea of just going back to that evolution piece and the, the 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 family enterprise is there to support us um, mm -hmm. as as we're doing things. And for families that you know, again, I want to make there's more families don't have a family office, aren't having this mindset, you know, of that I need a family office or I'm going to put this family enterprise together. Mm -hmm. But that's not. I think that's a misnomer. I, I think it's really important to start to say, you know, if you've got a family business. And that family business is doing $5 million a year of revenue, $10 million a year of revenue. And that's what's feeding this family. I think it's really important to continue, you know, to think about what are the needs of the family as well, making sure that you've got somebody in charge of that um, mm -hmm. so that, you know, so that the family can be thinking about, you know, the autonomy and the talents of each individual family member. So we're looking at it not saying, you know, ooh, Nika, you have to come in and run this business because you're my heir apparent and I'm choosing you. Mm -hmm. That's great, but if we don't have the emotional, you know, it, it, without emotional intelligence, that might be something that happens. But with emotional intelligence, it gives us that ability to say, oh, this isn't something that you wanna do. What do you wanna do? You wanna Where do are your passions? And equally, if it isn't something that you want to do, I find that um, family enterprises, even if you don't have a family office and you're running, you know, your couple running a five million dollar a year business, there's so much. It's like a university that your children can be learning from. 
right? That can be applied in all aspects of their lives, whether they choose to be entrepreneurs in and of themselves or they don't, right? There's the resilience, the grit, the visionary, like what it takes to run a business is just, it's, business owners are super, superhuman. They're especially visionaries, ones that, you know, it was an idea in your head and your heart and you brought it to life. How? You're a case study in the end of itself. Like, so that legacy of learning, of wisdom, of intelligence, I find is even more important than the tangible. So legacy is about leaving something in people, not just leaving something for people. I forget who said that, but I will find it and share it with you so I can attribute it. I want to say it's Peter Stropple. It's in my book. I think it's Peter Stropple. So if we're leaving something in the rising generation, we're not just leaving assets for them. We want to pass down this legacy of entrepreneurship and then they can choose to do for their individual selves what they want to do with it, right? But it's important life skills. I love it. And I think that kind of leads right into what are some of the things that families can do to create that enterprise of the future. It's one, mm-hmm. I would say it's thinking in that in those terms, right? Leaving in, not just leaving them with, right? Indeed, indeed. And I, I focus on, um, I often say the three C's, the critical success factors, because I like to I like to think in acronyms because it's helpful, it's memorable, and it's simple. So we want to work on three C's. The first is clarity. Who are we as a family? And we spoke about this in terms of what are our shared values? What's our shared vision? What's our shared mission? What's our shared purpose? The second is we want to communicate. We want to communicate effectively, not just about the technical, you know, we need to expand into five states this year, but we want to communicate about dad, As a child, I felt abandoned by you because you were always working. Because guess what? It does impact on the succession planning process because the heart to which I look at the enterprise is very different because it's one of, well, actually don't really care because, you know, why should I care about this business that he sacrificed everything for? And it's all about him, right? Um, Rather than this is our collective legacy that we're working on together. Um, And lastly, collaboration. We want to move from individual rulership to collective leadership. We need to understand each of our respective roles, our strengths, weaknesses, mission, vision, and band together um, in trying to win our game collectively. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, you're, You're coaching a family. For the first time, hmm. what are this, you know, what what's the first step you'd recommend that they start to undertake? Start to have conversations together. Um, first, that usually if I'm coaching the family, I work individually with each family member to understand where they're at, to understand what they their views are on the enterprise what they'd like to see who they are individually what their strengths are what their vision is what their values are and then we start to have um conversations based on what i observe as to what the different like aspirations fears anxieties are over whether it's we need to work on an acute issue 
or just generally thinking through how can we start co-creating this legacy we want to be leaving and the legacy we want to be living. Yeah. Love it. It's in, uh, in, in our terms, when we're talking to families, we call it the family business roadmap or the family roadmap. We mm -hmm. really need to get everybody in the family on the same page and, and understanding where everybody's coming from, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's a process and it's sometimes there's conversations that come out of that that have never happened before oh yeah oh yeah positive and negative I, and I'll, let's go with I'll, I'll share a positive one and then you probably if you share one as well that'd be great yeah. I had a father who lent his daughter um, money to start her business and um, she paid interest on that loan forever years never paid back any of the principal and we were doing the some estate technical planning you know for the mom and dad and i said well, what do you, what's the plan for this here he goes you know oh yeah we've got that loan to our daughter we probably should forgive it she's she's earned it and i looked at them both and i said have you ever told her i just saw the pride in his eyes that she, mm. you know, he wasn't happy with her when they first did, when she first chose to do this, because she, what she was choosing was to work out of the family business and go start her own thing. And that was mm. really difficult for Dan. When we had the family meeting and he shared with her how proud he was of her. And then, mm. for, then mom and dad made the sign, the papers to forgive the note. You know, it was a, beautiful beautiful moment that wouldn't have been captured if we didn't just start having some conversations indeed so. that's beautiful i have one as well where um father and son had been working together in the business and dad was supposed to have stepped down um and he kept on saying one more year one more year and son was getting very frustrated with the whole process and he had already activated lawyers to sue dad um, because it had financial implications for him um, and his mini nuclear family. And so we had a conversation. I mediated a conversation between dad and son as to expectations. What really was at the heart of hindering dad from, you know, honoring his promise, so to speak. And it was this deep fear of, what's next for me? What would my future hold? This is everything that I know. My friends are in this enterprise. I don't have friends outside of this. This is my hobby. This is my life calling. And what am I supposed to be doing? Um, and so we were able to have a really fruitful, honest, heart-to-heart -heart conversation as to what was really at the root on both sides of the table emotionally right. and the implications of their actions on that and then starting to workshop moving forward. Now, what can we do to create a future that would be um, mutually beneficial for both father and son? And it was it was beautiful. There were tears. Um, but, you know, these conversations, um, they're continued conversations, right? You sow the seed, you start today, and then you continue to have and practice this effective communication with your family members, where you're able to deal with matters of the heart because it does impact on the enterprise. Yeah, it, it's, as you're, as you're talking about the father-son piece of it, and I, you know, it was father-daughter piece before, it's at the end of the day, when I talk to owners and, they, and we talk about frustrations, within the business 
at the end of the day, it, usually it comes back to people and, mm. and how do I manage people and whatnot. And so my tie-in is that we forget that as a family, we're just people. Mm. So, and so we have feelings. We may not be our feelings, but we're feeling things. And, and the, those relationships are so important. So, you know, to plant those seeds of how do we become more emotionally intelligent? How do we have these conversations? How do we open ourselves up to critical conversations? How, mm. do, we, how do we listen better, right? How do we focus yeah. on what's being said how do we see what's being said and hear what's being said not just you said it you plant seeds and i have a buddy that says the same thing it's it's like plant seeds to grow trees mm. and that's that so it's like all these little conversations and they don't have to be like to your point before you don't have to be revolutionary conversations yeah start where start where you know, maybe it's sometimes it's just start where you do have shared vision you do have shared mm -hmm. values let's talk about that and then and then to hear each other and then to say okay now where do we have different visions and different conversations mm -hmm. so that we can you know be ready for that next phase because there is shared in every one of those conversations is being present this is awesome is there anything else that you know again the the, the name of the book is lifetime to legacy Yes. And it's available. Where can people get the book? You can find it on Amazon. Um, and if you want to learn more information, there's also on my website, www.nikeanani.com forward slash book. Um, there, there's a video, there's some sample chapters, and there's also the link to the Amazon page. I, I know we could talk for another three hours. So I know. <laughs> Looking at the time and saying, all right, I, I, I want to be cognizant of, of, of your time. I just yeah. want to say thank you, Nikkei. You're a super unique person that comes at this as an, you know, from a different perspective, both you've got the technical side, you had to work within the family to bring the relational side and the human factors together. You've done a great job there. And now you're out coaching families to do the same thing um just a, a gift today i really really appreciate thank you, you know, what you've shared and we i think that there was two or three um christina i hope you're taking great notes i hope there's two or three conversations in there that need some additional unpacking and we mm. need to make that make those take those seeds and grow those seeds a little bit i think we've uncovered some really neat stuff in our conversation ladies and gentlemen i hope that you have enjoyed our time with nikkei today um i had a blast if you can tell um, i love my job i love being able to be surrounded by people like you my name is michael columbus this is the family biz show uh, i'm with family wealth and legacy in rochester new york thank you all for joining us and i can't wait to have you on the next episode take care everybody Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting-edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that, and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. 
Michael Palumbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.